Hello to everybody who's not feeling real estate. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. This one means a lot to me. I think a lot of people are going to have strong reactions to it. Before we get into any description of the call, I do just want to say right out of the gate, it includes conversation about suicidal thoughts. So keep that in mind before you listen. And if you need help or someone you know needs help, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is at 1-800-273-8255. So please keep that in mind explain more in a moment. Before I do, I just want to say thanks to everybody who uh, left feedback on the uh, live episode. We, we posted the episode, The Guy Who Couldn't Burp, live in Omaha. It was a great show. It was a, it was a fun night out, and it seems like that translated. A lot of people liked that live energy, and especially in the Facebook group. I cannot believe how many beautiful anonymous listeners are unable to burp. There were so many people who leaving comments about how they can't burp, and there were so many people leaving comments about how they also have thought about murdering someone on behalf of their children. I'll explain that story about the Christmas tree guy. And uh, I actually left a comment in the, in the thread. There's a whole bunch of people participating. And I said, I can't believe how the comments this far, it's like two camps, people who can't burp, people who have felt a need to murder out of protectiveness. And I will say, I laughed out loud. Angela Marie in the group just said, honored to be in both camps. And that did make me giggle. So thanks to everybody the Facebook group. Thanks to everybody supporting our caller who can't burp. Thanks to everybody who supports the show. If you're in Jersey, you want to support me, uh, March 2nd, House of Independence, I'll be doing another show, my monthly residency there. It's the only live show I got for you for a while. Houseofindependence.com. If you want to come on out, say hi, hang in Jersey, down the Jersey Shore. Okay. This week's episode, it goes in so many directions. Um, I'm not going to say much except to say that our caller was in the military. Our caller was in a specific portion of the military that's legendary. Our caller saw a lot, did a lot, experienced a lot, and has also done so much in post-military life to reconcile that in ways that you've heard about probably theoretically or through the grapevine, and now you get to hear about it from someone who's actually in it. I can't stop thinking about this one ever since we recorded it. I want to send so much love to the caller. I'm, I'm glad the caller's found methods by which to reconcile so many strong feelings and experiences and the aftermath of them. And uh, just really blown away by this one. I hope it helps other people out there. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. 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 Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good, man. Great, great. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's a rainy day. It's kind of a gloomy day in Jersey. So I haven't been outside, oh. but I still feel good. Uh, well, unfortunately in Utah, it's a, a beautiful day. So we're not getting any snow like we need, but still beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're in Utah. I am, yeah. Nice. Are we, um, 
sorry. Are we on? Is this it? Just yeah. go for it? Or? Oh, we're, we're okay, sorry. It. No, no, I thought no, there was yeah. like a little prep. Ready? No, yeah, we're yeah, solid. So fi- we're, we're solid 55 <laughs> seconds into this bad boy. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, um, where do you want me to begin? Or you just want me to begin from the, the beginning? <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good. And do I, okay, have we cool. talked before? I don't think so. No. Okay. But my okay. wife's from Jersey, so oh, that's what led me to you. Uh, Scotch Plains. Hey, great town. Great town. <laughs> One of my best friends yeah. from there. Yeah, it's a great town. You're right. I love it there. I was Small, born, clean, they just, beautiful. Their little uh, comic book store just announced it was closing after many decades. It's always a bummer. Oh. Always a bummer when a comic book store closes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, uh, yeah, so here's my story. Um, I grew up here in Utah, uh, part of the, you know, the standard the the orthodoxy religion here in the state latter day saint grew up in a small town um was was really um struggling to to find a way to make a sort of any economic vi- you know viability in that small town so i decided you know i'll join the army um i'll get out um i joined the army reserves and uh, i was basically a um a, a cameraman. That was my first job. Um, I thought I went away, did that. Thought, okay, now I'll go to school. I got the college money, got the GI bill. Awesome. So I go to school and I think to myself, well, shoot, I'm going to take some more of these ROTC classes because that'll boost my GPA. Never really thought I'd come back in the army, but at the end of my degree, I was like, well, dang, I actually, I really like this. I'm going to stick with it. So I get commissioned now as a second lieutenant. I go into the Utah National Guard as a field artillery. This is all about 90 through 93. Okay. Um, and I sold real estate for a couple of years and hated it. Um, it just, it just wasn't me. So I decided that I was going to um, volunteer to go on active duty. And now this was during the, you know, the Clinton drawdown years. And so, the only way on active duty was if you were a priest or a lawyer or, uh, you know, something of that nature or a green beret. So I thought, Oh, okay. Well, um, I guess I'm going to be a green beret, not having any clue what that even meant to be honest with you, but still <laughs> volunteering for it. Let me just make sure I'm clear. It's like <laughs> green beret generally is not a thing. Most people are just sort of like falling into Green Beret, it's like the Green... True. It's like you got like the Army Rangers, the Navy SEALs, the Green Berets, and those are the those are mm-hmm. the those are the real badass ones is in in at least that most people like me know about, right? True, true. But see, I think you're also kind of operating in a post nine eleven paradigm where it's been in social media and media and pop culture and everything for the past twenty two years a lot. Okay. Um, okay. Whereas back in 1998, I mean, I knew what the Green Braves were. I knew that they were, like you said, the badasses. And I was like, oh, you know, okay, this, you know, it's going to be a badass thing. But like, I, I didn't really fully know what I was getting into. I, I knew that it was my way in active duty and I was going to do this, um, you know, because I was tired of selling real estate. And so, yeah, I'm going to be a Green Beret. <laughs> no, not, not you fully knowing find, what I was signing up for. There, 
there was nothing else on the on the vast spectrum in between real estate and Green Beret that that struck your fancy. That's a pretty no. wide swing of the pendulum, right there, my friend. Yeah, but I, I mean, honestly, my true love was the military, and I kind of felt that as I was going through college. But I didn't, I didn't really follow my path because at the time, my first wife was. You know, she was so opposed to me being in the military for, you know, for obvious reasons. They didn't want me to die or whatever, you know. Or whatever, yeah, yeah. I was always in the military into a box where I didn't follow it when I had the chance. So now your only way is, you know, are you a doctor or a lawyer or a priest? Because that's what the Army was short of. Oh, and oh, by the way, we're also short on Green Berets. So do you want to try that? You know, what's it going to be? And like, well, I, you know, I wasn't going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a priest. So guess I'll be a Green Beret. <laughs> so you did it? I did. So I volunteered for it. With I actually transferred to it. There was a Utah National Guard unit that was Green Beret National Guard. And so I volunteered there and I kept my my plans secret. Because my plan was... To go through the qualification course, I had a I had a mentor who sort of coached me on this. He said, "Listen, you go get qualified, you do all the requirements, and then when you're a full blown Green Beret, you can just simply apply for active duty." And so I kept my my intentions concealed from the National Guard unit because there's actually a transfer of funds from state to federal, so they're paying for me to go to this training. Mm-hmm. thinking that they're going to get a qualified Green Beret back and I was going to pull an old bait and switch on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I did. Mm-hmm. So I, so I finished it. I finished the training, um, in 90, 99. Yeah. So from 98 to 99, it's about a year and a half, finished the training and, um, did exactly that. Did the old bait and switch. Um, and what was given orders on active duty. So I wind up at my, <laughs> actually, I wind up in special forces and in, in actually on a team by 2000 and young captain, brand new special forces officer. And then of course we know what happened, 9-11. Wow. So I would end up spending the next, um, 17 years until I retired. So if you're doing the math, I joined in 90, I retired in 17. So 27 years and, you know, 19 and some change of that as a Green Beret. So you've seen some shit. Pardon my French. Yes. <laughs> no, it's good, man. It's true. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and that's a great point. Let's, let me examine that real quick. Like, you know, I, I, I want to be real clear about my PTSD and, and what I experienced. And it's a, you know, like the truth is like a razor's edge. Fine. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like there, you can easily stray into embellishing and you can easily stray into marginalizing at the same time. And, and so like my, my truth, my reality is I did six tours for a total of 42 months in both Iraq and Afghanistan. I served with the 75th Ranger Regiment. I served multiple tours with 3rd Special Forces Group. Um, I mean, combat tours. I served multiple tours with what they call the Joint Task Force, which was JSOC, which is the command and control element for SEAL Team 6 and uh, 
the Navy, uh, yeah, still Team Six and Delta Force. And then a final tour was what's known as ANSOC Alpha, which was the NATO Special Operations Command. So now in all of that, like, again, I was an officer and officers, you know, they, they leave the tactical stuff and they move on to, you know, higher staff work and things like that. So, so did I, did I see as much as my non-commissioned officer brothers saw? No, not at all. Like deep respect to those guys who are out there, you know, swinging the pipe, we say, pipe hitters doing the, you know, doing the heavy lifting all the time. But did I see stuff? Yeah, I saw stuff. Let's pause there. That's about as real as it gets. Did I see stuff? Yeah, I saw stuff. We're going to hear about some of that stuff, and we're going to hear about a whole lot of other stuff when we get back. Thanks to our advertisers for helping us bring the show to the world. Now let's get back to this phone call. But did I see stuff? Yeah, I saw stuff. So, you know, if you, if you can you feel me on that where I'm trying to be. Absolutely. Be truthful. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Like I don't want to embellish what I did. Well, and, and I really appreciate that. I also want to say this too. First of all, before I say anything else and yeah, uh, this this coming from uh, you know my northeastern liberal artist bent, I know that it can be trait, and I know sometimes <laughs> that it can it can just be. But first of all, like thank you, because um, any any ways in which I might go, you know my my political leaning is that we're we spend too much on the military and we do this and that, and why why do we go throughout the world? At the end of the day, what I've never had a problem with is any individual human being who goes, I want to help my community, my country. And I know that you and all the other people you just mentioned, like you're out there doing it for real and I'm not doing it. So first of all, thank you before we get into anything else. And I mean that genuinely. Well, I, I, I get that. And thank you, man. I, I appreciate it. And it's not cliche. I, I sincerely appreciate when people express their gratitude for it. So you're welcome. And I, I love that you said like, you know, so you're higher up in the chain of command and there's other people out there who are actually, you know, fitting the vision of the things you think of in movies or news clips and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. But it doesn't change the fact that you uprooted your life to go into an area that was actively hostile, um, where there were definitely people who you know, people who were, who wanted, who would, who would prefer if you were, you know, the people wanted to kill you and people, and, and also I'm sure people actively, you know, people in your chain of command who are out there dealing with that hands-on, I'm sure that in that many years, in that area of the world, in that era of history, that, you know, when I'm like, oh, you saw some shit, this doesn't just mean like, oh, you're out here. I'm like, oh, I'm going to discount your experience because you weren't like, it's not the hurt locker. You weren't the one defusing the bomb. It's like, well, no, I'm also sure you knew a lot of people who were, I'm sure you know a lot of people who are not with us or who were injured. And, and I don't care where you're at in the chain of command. I feel like that can never be pleasant or easy or like a thing that you get to just turn off at the end of the night and move on from. 
um, when you're there, let alone ever really. So uh, while I appreciate what you're saying, I also am like, I, I've never, I've never gone over there. So, uh, and, and most of us won't. So I appreciate it. And also respectfully, I'm like, I don't discount your experience either, either. Thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I, I do try to walk that phone line because, like, even though I was higher up in the chain of command, there was still, you know, I still had some real hairy situations when I was younger. I mean, I, I was still a captain when I de- deployed the first couple of times, and I, I still saw my fair share, and even, and you're right, like, just the generally, just the generalized, like, just deploying, like, puts that pressure on you and, and changes you. Like, the trauma is real, regardless and that's a funny thing too, is, you know, trauma is not linear. It's not like, you know, like, okay, well, one deployment equals, I mean, there's a scale where they actually rate trauma, I think it's up to 150. And, and, and I get it, clinicians are trying to, you know, sort of understand each of the patients that come to them. But, you know, like, it's kind of like, a, like a, you know, I guess like I use the body as a metaphor, which is funny because there's a great book called, you know, The Body Keeps Score and talks about the trauma in our bodies how it gets stored up. But, you know, like, let's say like, you know, a group of us, you know, 10 of us went skiing today up here in the beautiful mountains of Utah. Well, we all might go down the same run and one of us might tear an ACL. Well, that has nothing to do necessarily like, like, like the run. It, it's kind of the combination of both the run, the skill, the, the, you know, the skier, maybe past injuries that he's carrying. So trauma is a real fickle sort of, diagnosis it's a real fickle ptsd is a real fickle finicky uh mental illness which mm-hmm. is what it is it's mental illness so mm-hmm. um if we if you're okay i'll transition into that real quick please yeah so, please so 2017 i retire and i would not admit very openly that i had ptsd like the warrior ethos is I'm not broken, especially again, like great raised Navy SEALs, I'm a Rangers. Like it's a little bit weird. Like I, I know like the, the warrior ethos in me is like, you can't be broken. It's, it's not allowed. Like, you know, I mean, I've seen guys walk 12 miles on a broken foot to be the weak link, you know, like it's, it's, it's that demanding. So I wouldn't in 2017, I would not have admitted that I was, that I had PTSD or that I was broken in any way, but behaviorally the out, the outward symbols, I had so many markers. I, you know, I was, I had a, a real on again, off again relationship with alcohol. Um, like, you know, like, like a lot of people I know, like still like their favorite way to fall asleep is with a bottle of Jameson. And that was, I was certainly in that space, um, binging, um, you know, just tons of alcohol. When that wouldn't work, I would add in opioids, which is, you know, I mean, like, that's a real deadly combination. Like, that's the first thing they say to you when they hand you an an opioid is, don't do this with alcohol, you'll die. And you're like, well, I mean, I don't want to get completely dead. I just want to be kind of dead. So I'll have a half of one or whatever. And you're, so you're going down that path. Um, 2017, I went through my third divorce. Um, I had children who were, wouldn't speak to me, um, got fired from my first job out of the military and probably averaged domestic disturbance call outs by law enforcement about every six weeks. I tried counting it up one time. Um, 
I think I wound up with somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, oh, 15 restraining orders, I think was the number. Um, wow. on me. <laughs> like, yeah, like I was, I was that guy. Like I, you know, like this Rambo was a sophomore in high school. Like my, my shop teacher was a, a Vietnam vet and he's like, Oh, look, this great movie came out called Rambo. And like, even that didn't like resonate with me. Like when I finally became a, v, you know, a green brain so much later, it was like, Oh, like, yeah, like I'm, I'm on a very similar path here. You know, like Rocky's a green or Rambo's a green beret. And, and then we wanders in that town and he has like, you know, just the, just leave me alone syndrome. Just leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Um, like I was, I was law enforcement's worst nightmare. I really was like, I, I was draining mental health providers, ecclesiastic, ecclesiastical providers, law enforcement at my house, like the, like first name basis with me, like not in a good way. Like they knew, you know, like what is it this time, Mr. Oops. It's okay. We'll uh, bleep it. We'll bleep it. Okay. Yeah. You know, was it this time, sir? You know, um, and just, you know, so, and then the worst part, like veterans day, 2017, I found myself like so unable to cope with it that I, um, went and found this bar um, drank until it closed, like at two o'clock in the morning, the bar owner was the bartender. So I asked permission to sleep in the parking lot and, you know, I had a gun on me and it was like, all right, I just cannot get numb enough. Like, do I employ the nuclear option? Do I pull the trigger tonight? And I've pulled that trigger finger a hundred thousand times in my career. Can I pull it one more time? Can I end it? Can I do it? And just laying there shivering, drunk, with a gun in my mouth, trying to get the courage up to pull it one more time. And I didn't, obviously. So then we fast forward, nothing much changes. It's still off the charts. And now I go to my parents' house um, and an argument ensues over some silly random bullshit. But yet, like the PTSD in me, see, the thing about PTSD is it's a it's an addiction too. Like most people don't understand that, but it's an addiction. So like if I'm in a tricky spot in Afghanistan, let's say, and I re react with extreme violence that I was taught to do. And then I come out of that tricky, delicate situation alive. Well, guess what? My brain floods with dopamine, with serotonin, with adrenaline, and it's the greatest drug cocktail ever invented. And I go, yeah, man, love that feeling. So then every time you get on what they call the X, which is the ambush or where, you know, the tricky situation, you know, your body says, oh, I, I know what to do here. Yeah, let's react with extreme violence. And then let me get that drug cocktail. And so then it, began, it becomes an addiction. Like I can tell you that out of my six deployments, Two of them were necessary. Four of them were voluntary because my life was a shit show back home. And if I go to Afghanistan or if I go to Iraq, well, there's only one thing. I, there's, there's a couple things I have to focus on. I need to eat. I need to work out. And I need to do my job. That's it. So, so you get addicted to combat. You get addicted to PTSD. And so here I was now, 2018, at my father's house. And your body physiologically doesn't understand the difference between an ambush in Afghanistan or an ambush by your father. 
Now I use the ambush word with my father because he was trying to walk me off the ledge, but I was sitting in the corner of the living room and in every other corner, there was my father, my mother, my sister. So how do I, how does that physiologically feel to me? Cornered, trapped, ambushed. So my body wanting that fix says, Oh, Hey, I know where you're at, man. Let's, let's pour a little extreme violence on this situation so I can get my dopamine. So that's what happened. I, I now I, I want to be very clear. I've never, ever hit a woman. I've never, ever, I never hit my parents, but I, I broke some shit up and my father, God bless him. God bless the man for courage said, call 911. And he tried to contain me until the cops got there and I got arrested. And thank God. That's all I can say, man. Thank God that that man had the courage to do what he did and put me in a jail cell. And in that jail cell, I had two major realizations. First is I got a problem that I'm not being honest with myself about. And the second one is I need to find a solution. So I started digging and digging and digging. And the, the more I dug, the more I got led to entheogens, plant-based medicine, specifically ayahuasca and psilocybin. Veterans were going down to the jungles of South America, to Mexico, to Jamaica. Even Gwyneth Paltrow has an episode on ayahuasca where she goes to, her team goes to Jamaica and does it. And all the evidence, I mean, it, it wasn't just the evidence and the scientific backing and everything I read, but it was like watching YouTube videos of veterans say, you know, like this, this is amazing. This has cured me. This can work. You know, you've got to come to, and, and it was like trusting them because of what I could see in their eyes and what I could hear in their voice. And so that began my journey, my search for ayahuasca um that is uh that's where it gets well go ahead yeah a couple things i want to say is first of all i'm so glad you're still here and i'm so sorry you went through so much hard stuff and you know it sounds like you know also the people in your life you mentioned your parents you you know a lot of the people in your life you brought a lot of chaos i'm glad to hear that Sounds like you're on the other side of that. And we're going to hear about how you got there. But also one thing I want to, there's two things I want to point out if that's cool is like, first of yeah, all, yeah. one thing that, you know, the, the stories on the show very often feel extreme. People tell us about circumstances where you go, Oh, that is one in a million. But you have just said something that I think is really important for me to underline. Now you have your individual story. It's your story, but you said you found, you know, people talking about other veterans going and doing ayahuasca and saying how much it was helping. Because one of the sad things that we got to underline is your story is your individual story, but there's many veterans who have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan who are walking their own version of this hell. Cause it is, it is. Um, and you don't need to read too much about the facts and figures regarding um, veterans taking their own lives uh, veterans falling into real extreme circumstances to know that like your story sounds extreme for me and a lot of people listening to it, but there's something systemically 
really not right in what you and you know you and and these people who you're bonded with through your sacrifice uh, are being put through and systemically it's not being fixed. It's, it's really wrong. It's really messed up. I see it. Secondly, I want to make a dark joke if that's okay, which is that yeah, if at the beginning of the call, <laughs> when you started talking, if somebody said to me, do you think this guy's a green beret or he's someone who's done ayahuasca? I would have said ayahuasca and you've just proven that you can be both. So kudos to you. You got more of an ayahuasca vibe than a green beret vibe. Well, yeah, I mean, and amen, because that's where we're going in this story, and this is what I try to tell people. Like, you know, my, my I mean, I'm going to cry, man, but, like, my, my poor sweet mother, man, she's, like, five feet tall, and she just, she had so much terror being around me because, you know, like, I could I could look back and say she was never in any danger, but, like, you know, I mean, I'm a big dude, man. I'm an intense man, and... And that's dialed down so much what you, what you're picking up from what it was when I was in that dark place. Like I said, like I was, I was a ticking time bomb. I was probably, I was definitely suicidal and maybe homicidal. And I was wrestling with the cops, like, you know, not physically wrestling, but you know, I can, I was engaged with them just constantly. And I was like, I knew I could see what was coming. I'm like, Oh, I know how this works. Like every time it gets bigger, like it's, it's amping up like something's going to happen. And, and so, you know, like, like, yeah, like, you know, my mother, my dear sweet mother, who's, you know, Mormon all the day long. Um, I'm not anymore, but she is. And, you know, like the idea of doing psychedelics, I talked to her about this and she's like, nah, I don't know, you know, like, cause she's brought into this whole, you know, war on drugs and what the church tells her and everything like that. But now I can talk to her. I can say, mom. And she's like, no, son, I get it. In fact, you know, we're going to talk about how I became a shaman. And I have these drums. I have a buffalo, or excuse me, a bear drum and a moose drum. And she asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I said, Mom, I'd be so honored if you'd make me two drum cases. And she made me the most hippie drum cases in the world and in tie-dye. It's like she gets it now. She gets it. She doesn't have to understand where I went, you know, and how I did it. But she understands that I'm better now and she supports it. So. Yeah, you, you, you understand. So you're a shaman. It's, it's a different vibe. Yeah. So yeah, so this is the next chapter in the story. So the shaman thing. Um so I finally found my retreat. It took me a long time, largely due to pandemic and largely due to my own thinking, because I didn't understand, you know, so ayahuasca, these these medicines, and I want to make a clear point about this. This is medicine, right? Like the federal, the federal government launched this bullshit war on drugs, man. And it was all about punishing the counterculture, the hippies, the anti-Vietnam protesters in the seventies and minorities. That was, I mean, it's documented. You can look up that Nixon's motivations were to punish those two groups. And then he threw everything in there. So let me give you a, a real quick distinction. So medicine, entheogen medicine, it is, Three things, three characteristics. A, non-addictive. B, non-fatal. And C, it actually cures you. So all the medicines that I could describe to you meet those three criteria. Uh, you cannot die from marijuana. You cannot die from psilocybin. You cannot die from ayahuasca or any of the others. 
Drugs, however, addictive, can be fatal, and don't cure shit. Okay, so so yes, I so I had the mindset just like my mother had the mindset, just like every you know like that like oh like this is a, this is a narcotic. There's no way I can do it. No wonder everybody's going to the jungles. I need to go to the jungles. Well, that was really difficult to pull off with the pandemic. So it didn't even occur to me for like over a year when I finally said, huh, I wonder what would happen if I typed in ayahuasca retreat, Utah. And I found one and I was like, what the hell? Well, this is taking a turn. This is taking a for real turn. And it's gonna keep turning. And you're not gonna believe how far it turns when we get back. Thanks to everybody who advertises on the show and that we get to do this show at all. Now let's finish off the phone call. I wonder what would happen if I typed in ayahuasca retreat, Utah, and I found one and I was like, what the hell? What the hell? How is this even possible? How is she, how is the shaman doing this? How, how do they get away with, you know, holding this? Like, what about the law that, you know, like a thousand questions around that. And I finally just said, eh, whatever, I'm going to do it. So I go to my first retreat and I mean, it's, it's so hard to even put into words, but I go to my first retreat and basically my I started channeling an ancestor of mine and my fist forms, my hand forms in the, in the form of a fist. And my shaman says to me, what's that? I said, that's me, man. That's me. It's my trigger finger. It's my fist. It's destruction. It's fight. And every time somebody counted me out, I won. That's who I am. And basically she sat with me for about an hour unraveling how my ego was getting in my way. Cause ultimately as a child, I was adopted. I was the fat kid. I was the outsider. I was, you know, all these different things that I had told my story, believing that had shattered my ego into a thousand pieces and subconsciously, how did I react? I corrected, but what happened is that I overcorrected and I became the most masculine. Like, like think about that. Like subconsciously I became a green beret and fought six, you know, in war for 17 years and six deployments. And now that ego was uncontrollable. So we, she unraveled that literally like in under an hour. And then she crawled right up in my face, like six inches away from me, nose to nose. And she looked at me and her eyes were, you know, I mean, I understand it was the medicine, but her eyes were like diamonds and sparkling. And she just, she held out her hand and put it on my shoulder and said, oh, wait me. She I said, gotcha. I gotcha. We'll bleep you. Yeah, thanks. She, she, she looked at me and she said, the universe ordained this. You were brought here, and it's my privilege and honor to extend the call that you become a shaman and step into the role to go heal your tribe. And then she took both of my hands. She said that that ego hand that, that manifested as a fist, she's like, because I gripped it and said, I'll never get rid of this. And she's like, Matt, she's like, um, 
You don't have to. You don't have to get rid of it. It's your identity. It's your community. The people you need to go rescue will know who you are through your authenticity and having been the Green Beret, having been a ranger, having served all those. You don't have to get rid of it. We're going to balance it. We're going to bring it in with the other hand now as the healer. And you're going to, you know, that's how you call to your tribe through your right hand, through your identity. And we're going to balance it now with a healer. You're a shaman. You're a shaman. Dang, I keep forgetting. Sorry. It's okay. We'll bleep it every time. I got you. (laughs) No. Okay. So she's like, you are a shaman. You're a shaman. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like the first thought that ran through my head was, I didn't pay for the shaman upgrade. <laughs> I, paid the, I paid for the basic package. What are you talking about? But then like really, really um, like mysterious things started happening. And I'm going to try to condense this some, but like when I was, I, I had forgotten this, but when I was a child, I had what I felt was like some psychic ability. Like if you spread a, a deck of cards out, I could find, you know, a high card every time. Like I felt it. If you put a pendulum in front of me, I could use it to tell, you know, answer questions, yes or no. I could leave my body as a, as a kid. But foolishly, I asked other kids and adults about these things, these things that were going on in my life. And what do you think that brought, right? Like that brought ridicule and um, shame and you know like what's wrong like so I quickly buried it and I literally had forgot about that for you know over 40 years literally forgot about it until I stepped into medicine and then all these things came flooding back to me Um, memories gifts talents skills things that I hadn't even remembered for over 40 years now like we're unfolding manifesting experiencing in my life and i'm like what is going on what is going on what is going on um i didn't believe that i was a shaman at first um here's how i describe it now i believe that for uh, and i didn't even believe in in you know incarnation reincarnation i thought that yeah some sort of sort of weird you know shit over in india i don't know whatever didn't pay any attention to it. But now my truth, now what I believe, what I say, what I tell people is I went through multiple incarnations alternating between warrior and shaman, warrior and shaman. And this incarnations where I, for for the first time, bring it together um, as a warrior shaman. I lived the life as a warrior. I found that subconsciously. I found my role, my calling as a green beret. like I said, sort of on accident, but I knew once I was a Green Beret, I knew that that was what I was supposed to be. I knew that I was supposed to do. And that was part of my PTSD, having that identity ripped away from me in retirement, not like knowing what to do, not fitting in with society, being lost. And so when she said, you're a shaman, and it took me a while for me to accept it. And frankly, I want to give a quick, you know, clarification about shamanism. I, I don't get wrapped up on the title and now I'm to the place where I don't even say it. I mean, I'm saying it in this interview because it's the story and in context, the word has, you know, some space, hold space, but like, it, I don't get wrapped up on a title. It, it, what it is is now, you know, 
my tribe, these, these men and women who I served with, who need to find healing, like my role is to serve them. Um, shamans, I believe in old school shamanism. I, I have a mentor who I study with deeply and teaches me the, the ways of shamanism. I read, I study, I devote my life to this. And some of the hallmarks of shamanism are, you know, a vow of poverty and a vow of service and, and things like that. So it's, I'm not in this to, to make money. I'm in this to heal my brothers and sisters and to do this beautiful work. But then again, there's the, the, the moral and ethical dilemma because I'm caught in this place where now I know that this medicine works, that this can put us back, that this can restore our mental health, this can cure our PTSD and so many other things. And wanting and needing to share that with my brothers and sisters, yet I'm no different than, you know, somebody out there selling meth. like. In the government's eyes, in the government's eyes, I'm no different than some guy selling meth at, you know, on a corner, you know, near a park. So that's, uh, that's my struggle. That's my wrestle. Um, yeah, I'll pause there. This is, this story has taken so many turns. So many turns. <laughs> so I really love it. Um, have you wound up in the shaman era of your life do you do you generally work with other veterans so yeah again the beauty of this being anonymous because frankly the funny thing was is i just did an interview um in the state where i'm at where they're trying to yeah pass some laws about this and so i went to a interview and i was willing to be on camera and be myself and tell my truth um but i didn't talk about all i did was talk about the retreat you know, that was way in the past. So this won't, that won't invite any law enforcement. This interview, I'm giving you the juicy bits because it's anonymous. So, you know, I, uh -huh. I won't invite any law enforcement to my house, but yeah. So, so I, like I said, I, I became a very quick student, um, of multiple teachers. Um, it's funny. Like I, I never even said the word shaman before, going to this retreat and then I met one and then, and then I met dozens. And so I have a beautiful community that, that helped me, that teach me and work with me. I, I learned from them. I learned from the medicine. I have a single mentor who I study with, who she's not involved at all in the entheogen or plant medicine space. So she teaches you, you know, me the old school shamanism, which is, you know, shamanic journeys and shamanic healing and energy work, you know, it's kind of like Reiki on steroids, things like that. And yes, I hold retreats right now, probably on average of about, you know, I'll probably, I think I looked at my schedule. I'm probably going to do about 20 this year. Um, so a little bit less than every other week I hold a retreat. Um, and it's underground. It, you know, you got to come to me through word of mouth. I need somebody to vouch for who you are. I use divination, which is, you know, a couple different tools. I use uh, a pendulum. And are you familiar with runes? You know, maybe I'll just say what it is for audience sake. Sure. Um, I, I'm aware they are a thing, but explain. The, yeah, it's basically um, Nordic uh, pagan divination. So it's like tarot where the runes are you know, carved into stone or bone or whatever. Um, 
And so, you know, you use that to sort of protect yourself to know, like, you know, is there an undercover cop in sitting in my ceremony? Um, and that's what was used on me. Like my, the one that held my ceremony, she, you know, she did a number of readings and tarot readings and things like that. That's how she kept her. And that's why, so I use that, but yes, I, you know, I, I hold about, so 20 this year is what I have on the schedule. And, and it's such a beautiful experience. I've seen people, um, break meth addiction, 30 years of alcoholism, uh, PTSD, um, you know, both from the military and, you know, uh, young ladies from some sexual trauma, just the, the list goes on and on and on. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I operate is under the radar and by word of mouth. Um, and, you know, keep my fingers crossed that hopefully someday the, the federal government will realize that, um, these medicines, again, medicines, because they cure, because they're not addictive, because they're not fatal. Like we should have access to mother nature. The, the metaphor I, I say is like, you know, like if I want to go swimming at the lake, like why, why do you, why do you as a, as a government, a state government or federal government try to regulate that? Why are you you wouldn't stand in the way of me going swimming at the lake. Why are you standing in the way of me using cannabis, mushrooms, ayahuasca, or, or any of the others? Because the truth of the matter is more people die in drowning than ever died from any of those medicines. No one in fact has ever died from those medicines. So why are you trying to regulate that except for wrongful perceptions, incorrect paradigms, and you know, like some junk science that the war on drugs threw down our throats. Now, here's something that I imagine has to be difficult for you. When, when, you know, you've mentioned there's people who are, you know, dealing with all sorts of things coming from all walks of life. When other military veterans show up, do you, I imagine it has to break your heart. And I guess my question is, are there commonalities or is each person on their own individual story? Or do you look at veterans and go, oh, systemically so many of us wind up having a void of a certain type. Does that make sense? Completely. And, and the answer is yes and no. Cause so here's one of the beautiful things that happens in space when I say space in, in medicine space, in the journey, in the ceremony, like I, I never stop being amazed because there's two things that are unfolding simultaneously. And my role as the facilitator is to be able to balance that energy, to help draw, you know, like not let, to help them if they're stuck, to help them move through that, to help that energy to unravel, just like she did with me, sitting with me and unraveling me. So I have a responsibility to all of them. And, and I'm, I'm a, I maintain a four to one ratio. So like I have people who I work with, if we're going to do 20 in a group, I will have five staff there. So like we, I mean, we take care of all of your needs. Like it's very, very clinical. If you're throwing up, we got the bucket. If you need a blanket, we got you. You need a pillow. We got you. You need someone to help you up to go to the bathroom. We got you. 
but I'm working on the energy individually. They're on their own journey and I'm working with that. But collectively you find certain threads unfold. And I, I believe in the divinity and sacredness of this space to the point that I know that whatever happens in those journeys will happen just like she said. She said, you were brought here. This was orchestrated. The universe brought you to me. Welcome to your role. So I understand that when I hold space, when I conduct ceremony, that that there will be commonality. There will be themes and threads unfold. And I start to see it before the, you know, the others in the group do. We're like, oh, okay, this person, like I can give you a recent example. This person, I knew he was there because, you know, he was trying to connect to his son who had committed suicide. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. This, this person over here. Oh, yep. They have a, a loss with a son. Oh, this person has a broken relationship with a father. Oh, there's a massive father son uh, thread running through the, the container tonight. Okay. Got it. And then I can work with that. So there's an individual journey and then a group journey that are unfolding simultaneously and being able to know that and balance that. And then further to your point, you know, like, and that was what, what my shaman, when she called me, when she said that to me, like later we were talking about it, she's like, yes, you need to balance your ego and you need to get that under control. And, and that's what, you know, you'll do in the medicine that with integration, which I need to focus on. Integration is huge, which integration is the after ceremony, after medicine, you know, learning how to implement into your life the, the, the answers that you were given in medicine. So she's saying, as you integrate, as you figure this out, like, yeah, your identity is what it is. And, and, and truthfully, I mean, think about this. And this is what she said, and I, and I know it's true, and I believe it. She's like, who, who out there in the veteran community can look at you and say, you have no idea, man. You've got no idea. Really? Tell me what I don't understand. Tell me that I don't understand being fired from my job. Tell me that I don't understand homelessness. Tell me that I don't understand suicide. Tell me that I don't understand being arrested and locked up. Tell me what I don't understand. Oh, you want to talk about combat? Okay, let's go toe-to-toe on that. I got six deployments. I got 42 months. I get, and, and again, what, what units are we talking about, right? The Joint Task Force on Terrorism, the, you know, the Combined Joint Task Force, Africa. I mean, like all special operations. It's like... Do you want to go toe to toe there? In other words, like anybody that, that wants to push back on me when I say, if I find somebody who's hurting through, again, through word of mouth through whatever, someone connects us and I have a phone call with them and I say, listen, man, trust me. Cause this, here's the thing too. I love about plant medicines. I, I believe in, I don't believe in a silver bullet. Plant medicine is not a silver bullet. It is a strand in the rope and all the cords are important because that's where the stro- the rope gets its strength, right? Like the sum is greater than the parts. So, you know, it involves sound and breathing and yoga and proper diet and exercise and continued work with therapists and integration and all that. But the one thing that I love about plant medicine is I can say to a guy who's literally like me, where I was at the very, very end of his rope, and I can say, listen, man, Give me a weekend because it's that quick. I can cut through everything. I can crack open and show him the vastness of the universe and dive him into his heart at the same time. 
all at the same time. And it, I, I can, I can literally cut through his, all of his doubts, all of his fears in, in a weekend. And so I can, I can say, so first of all, in those conversations, I say, listen, man, give me a weekend. And second of all, like if they're you know, getting super aggressive, you don't get this, you know, really, let me tell you my story. And I've done this. I've, they, they, like, I don't know, you know, like so-and-so says, I need to talk to you. All right, man. I mean, let me, you know, let's do this. Let me tell you my story so that I can open up a safe space so that you, you know, that you know that you can share my story. I share my story. And then they say, oh, well, you got a lot more shit than, than I ever have. So, you know, maybe Joe or who, you know, whoever it was that connected me, maybe Joe has got a point. Let me, I'll listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now. Does that answer your question? It does. Beautifully. Beautifully. Um, I have to wonder, I mean, we're going to be dealing with this for decades. The, you know, you could, you could argue that we already are, that 9-11 was, you know, 21 years ago and that we're, and that this is all an extension of a story and, and it's going to extend even further into decades. I have to wonder though, all of us recently saw footage of what it looked like when we, got out of there um and it wasn't easy to see and mm -hmm. i think you know on one level i sit there and go well we had to leave sometime and it was a hard choice and i i i give credit that we just said we have to go sometime and that time will be now on another side of it i go this footage is scary and it seems like a lot of there's so many people that are there's a real human cost to this and you can see it in actual footage that we all got to see on the news, I have to imagine it's even more layered for you and your brothers and your sisters who were over there. And I have to wonder if as a shaman, if you're seeing like another wave of trauma mm. based on the exit, or if there's some healing that came with the exit that you're noticing. But I have, I feel, I feel like your perspective will be different than anyone else I ever get to talk to. Uh, I didn't see any healing from it. I saw massive trauma from it, including my own. Like, even though I was in the space, even though I was in, sh you know, shamanism, even though I was doing medicine, like I had to tell my wife, like, like, baby, you got to give me some space. Um, I found a veteran, like, like, cause he here's the deal. I, I had, you know, you end up serving with these Afghans and I had an interpreter who had reached out to me before I found this, when I was still in my PTSD space. And he's like, will you help me, you know, process? And I was like, no, I ain't helping you. Not because I didn't love him, but because I knew what a trigger that that was going to be. Like, I just wanted to bury it, man. I just wanted to bury it. I don't want to be in this. And so finally, reluctantly, I was like, yeah, I can't turn my back on this guy. I owe him my life. And so I started helping him back in July or excuse me, January of 21. And so we were nine months into the process of getting him out of Afghanistan when we did what we did and, and withdrew. And so I went from, you know, talking to him once in a week, maybe filling out a form for immigration once a month to hundreds of text messages a day, trying to navigate him from safe house to safe house, working with nonprofits, you know, volunteers, all the people that you know were on the news, like that Pineapple Express thing, working with all those to try to get this guy out. 
Now, he's sitting in the UAE, and he's on the short list to get over here soon. Thankfully, he moved it. But, like, my trauma, my triggering, even though I had processed almost all of this PTSD and was in really good place, like, it, it found unresolved stuff inside of me. So I said to my wife, I'm like, baby, I, I need to go away. I'm, I called a veteran friend that I, that's in this circle with me. And I said, brother, we need to go journey. We need to go journey. And I did a heavy journey and processed all that. So there's, there's not a lot of people who will tell you it, it was healing for them. Like everybody I know it was triggering, but, and here's another reason why, like, you know, have you ever heard the analogy, like, you know, what, like holding a wolf by the ears, like you don't dare hold on, but you don't dare let go. Like, I understand what you're saying about like Afghanistan, like we had to let go at some point. Right. But here's the reality. We should have never grabbed the ears in the beginning. Like, did we need to go to Afghanistan? Yeah, we did. Did we need to, you know, like, you know, set a tone so that the rest of the world wouldn't, like, encourage terrorists to come over here and, and kill Americans on sovereign soil? Yeah, we need to do that. Did we need to be there for 20 years? Hell no. That was the industrial military complex milking that cow forever. and. And that's part of my trauma that I'm probably still releasing, like my sort of my frustration and anger over general officers, which I got friends that are generals. Because like I said, I mean, I've been out for five years and I was a lieutenant colonel then. So some of my peers stayed in and they're, they're generals now. But some general officers and politicians, because really generals are just that, they're hybrids between soldiers and politicians. So, you know, you got general officers and politicians that, like, like no one could ever explain to me, like, why are we here? Like, why? Oh, we got to get bin Laden. Really? Cause he's hiding out. So where he's so hidden that we can't find him. So I'm pretty sure he's marginalized right now. Like, why are we here beyond, beyond 2002, maybe 2003? Why are we still here? And then watching friends die over, over what I, I feel was pretty meaningless. Now I will say you know, I appreciate that you're, you know, that you're, you're liberal, you know, liberal arts, East Coast leaning. And, and, and frankly, politically, I, I'll just tell everybody, like, I, I feel like this is an important distinction. I'm a libertarian, man. I, I, I hate Republicans and Democrats alike and equally, man. Like, they're, they both sold out, sold us out. Um, but, um, Oh, where was I kind of going with that? Anyway, just to say that, like the the politicians, like they just, they just, they just kept us there for so long, and like no one could ever explain to me, like why, like why are, what is the objective here? And no one ever had had a good answer. Um, oh, but yeah, so the so militarily speaking, soldiers like me, you know, like they're good. Like, and I hope your listeners will understand this. Most of these kids are good, honest, good-hearted men and women. And what do they want? You know, it's, it, they, you know, you might have one percent that's like, oh, like, oh God, I can't wait to get a gun and go kill people for America. That's not the reality, man. The reality is like kids like me. They're like, I am economically doomed, man. Well, I got to do something. And they sign up, and you know, they find purpose and they find meaning. They mature. It's a beautiful experience. And then they're put into the, to the crucible. They're put into war and no one, 
No one will ever tell you that they're out there fighting for democracy or the republic or to establish democracy in Afghanistan or some political aim. The reason you fight, the reason you fight is for your brother and your sister on your left and your right. That is it. You all want to come home. That's all that counts. And so to hear people say thank you for your service, like I get it, man. Like thank you, you're welcome. I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to respect that. But you got like everybody's got to know that the reason that these young boys and girls go and do and they do what they do, and me even staying in as long as I did, it was like economic. It was like, oh, okay, well if I can survive this, if I can make it to 20, I'm going to get a paycheck for the rest of my life. And and I agree. Like our budget, our military budget's enormous. As long as you keep my military, as long as you keep my retirement in the budget, I'm okay <laughs> with reductions. But you know, it, it, it wasn't. It was never. It's not about the Constitution. It's not about democracy or spreading it. We we wasted 18 years, countless countless uh, treasure, and more blood than I can that I can express in that country for no good goddamn reason. I uh, I have to tell you. This is one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. We got three minutes left, and uh, well, I'm, I, well, it does. And I got to tell you, I keep thinking of where you were at, and the uh, the idea that you found your way out of it is miraculous, and that you now are working through the system that helped you, and you're helping other people, and many of them are people who walked the same path you did. It's uh. It's really, really, it's like jaw-dropping. I'm just glad you made it. I'm glad you made it through. Glad you made it out of there. I'm glad that you made it through everything you went through when you got back here. And I'm so happy to hear that there's someone there who really understands people and their pain who is dedicating himself to uh, to helping other people try to get to the other side of it too. And it's I'm there's going to be people really out there who go, ayahuasca is a drug and going to be people who argue that, but I would challenge anyone hearing this to say that you're, if they don't agree with that as a methodology, how could you ever disagree with your goals as far as the humanitarian side of it, of trying to help individuals get on the other side of life disrupting amounts of pain? You can't argue with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the mental illness crisis in this country, not just in the veteran community, but far and wide is, is massive. It is massive. And these, these beautiful plants, these ethnogenic plants, they hold the keys to our mental health. And it's been that way for tens of thousands of years. That's what shamans, old school shamans did. They knew. That was what the word shaman means, the one who knows. He knew how to come in and say, you know what? I can help you, brother. Here's some psilocybin. Let's take a little journey. And that was the, that was the history 10,000 years ago. Why have, we, why have we departed from that? Because science, the science is pouring out, overwhelming science, saying, hey, we may be on, the, there might be something in this. Yeah, you think? <laughs> Maybe there is. I, uh, I feel, I mean, I think there are more and more people who agree with you. I agree. And uh, I feel lucky. I feel lucky knowing that you're out there. I feel lucky. Yeah, and, and, I, and I hope that if there's anybody out there who's got their own version of PTSD, who's been through their own trauma, I hope that 
you think about finding paths that can help you through it. And it might be something like what you're describing. It might be uh, traditional therapy. It's probably some combination of a lot of different factors, as you mentioned. But I like knowing that you're out there and that this is an option for people and that people are finding healing in it. I think it's really, really commendable. And you too. You're doing good work. You're letting people tell their stories. And that's important. I do my best. I do my best. I'm, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in that I get to hear all the stories for sure. So thank you for telling me yours and our, uh, our time together is up. Thank you so much. Hey brother. Yep. Bye. Call it. Thank you so much. I know I said it a number of times throughout the episode, but so sincerely, thank you for sharing your story for dedicating yourself to others in in so many different phases of your life and uh, lucky I'm lucky that you're still around and that you're able to tell this story because I feel very inspired having heard it so thank you the show is produced by Anita Flores it's engineered by Marcus Hom our theme song is by Shell Shell go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me and hey wherever you're listening hit subscribe, favorite, follow there's a button that says something like that there it really helps us when you hit it you can find our latest merch at podswag.com. We've got mugs, shirts, posters, more. You can find ad-free episodes of Beautiful Anonymous and tons of other shows at Stitch Premium. Use the code STORIES and get a month free. Stitcher.com slash premium. Stitcher.com slash premium.